Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. Amen. Uh, well, good evening, everyone. My name is Amy, and I'm the executive pastor here. And most of you know I'm also a seminary student, and um, I'm studying church history. And I was thinking about, why do I love church history? And I think part of it is that I just love old stuff. I love old houses. I love old books. I love old paintings and old trees and old chip dishes and old crocheted blankets and old songs. I love how old stuff and old places, they carry this sense of old wisdom. You can almost feel it in their texture, like they have endured for generations and they have stories. And I confess I've really needed that old wisdom this week as I've been preparing for this sermon, as I've been thinking about power. Our text is that passage from Acts 8 that Bob read just a couple minutes ago. And frankly, every time I read it, I find it really challenging. Because that story of Simon the magician, it bumps right up against the way I think about money and the way I think about power and the way I feel about how I'm doing as a disciple of Jesus. And so I find myself turning to these old stories from the life of the church, to these stories of monastics, Now, monastics are these men and women. They lived a long time ago, and they took the temptation of money and power really seriously, so seriously that they came up with these ways of living that would orient their whole life around renouncing money and power as strongly as they possibly could. They lived in caves. They lived in deserts. They lived on pillars. They lived in these solitary cells, and they took these vows of poverty and submission And they did all this not because they were killjoys, not because they liked to be depressed all the time, but because they really loved Jesus. And they knew that money and power could take that love from them, could make it go numb the way nothing else could. And so before we get into our text for today, sorry, my glasses and my microphone are not agreeing with one another, I want to tell a story about a famous monk one you've probably heard of, named St. Francis. Now, St. Francis has been dead now for almost a thousand years, but when he was alive, he had all of these creative ways of renouncing wealth and power. And so one day, Francis and another monk named Bernard, they were walking through the countryside, and they had been engaged in this project of rebuilding these country churches that had all fallen into ruin. And on this particular day, they were also befriending the poor, They were praying for them. They were giving food and money to anyone who they came across who had need. And there was this man named Sylvester who saw them, and he went over to them, and he was in this rage. He was just consumed by greed. And he said, Francis, how can you give that money to the poor? You still owe me money for the stones that I gave you to rebuild those churches. And Francis just looked at him. And there was this long silence. And Francis saw that Sylvester was just eaten up by the power of greed. And so finally, he reached into his money bag, and he scooped up as much money as his arms could hold, way more than he could possibly owe Sylvester. And he just gave it all to him. He said, take it all, and if you ask me for more, I'll give you more. Well, Sylvester took the money, he went home, But that generous act had 
broken something in him. And so for three nights, he had this dream where God came to Sylvester and said that Francis was actually the one with true wealth. And this freed Sylvester from the power of greed that had taken over his life. Well, when I first read this story, something shifted in my gut. Because I know what it's like to feel like Sylvester. I know what it is to have a controlling impulse for something to feel like it has power over me. Maybe not money, but maybe security. Definitely control and approval and praise. And I would imagine we've all felt that way. So I want you to take that feeling and just hold on to it as we get into the text. So also, just as a reminder, because we're coming off of summer, we've had a birthday, we've had all kinds of unusual Sundays, we've actually been studying the book of Acts since the spring. And so at this point in the story, we are in Samaria because persecution has ramped up in Jerusalem and it's said that the church there scattered. And so part of that scattering meant that Philip went to Samaria, and he started to preach the gospel there. Liz preached about that passage about six weeks ago, but you might remember Philip is healing people, he's casting out demons, and there is great joy in the city. But tonight's text shows us that someone else was already at work in Samaria. Reading from verse 9. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was someone great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. So tonight's scripture kind of sets up Philip and Simon as these parallel figures operating in Samaria. Both of them have a message to preach. Both of them are attracting all this attention from the crowds. Philip is proclaiming Christ, and Simon is proclaiming himself. Philip is demonstrating the power of God to heal, to set people free. And Simon is demonstrating the power of his magic to control and to impress And these two uses of power are what I want us to think about tonight. Now, back in 1985, Richard Foster wrote this really helpful book. Back then, it was called Money, Sex, and Power. For some reason, they changed it to this much more boring title, The Challenge of a Disciplined Life. But it's the same content. And he points out that all power comes from God. And and we know that, right? Scripture's really clear about that. But this power has been twisted and corrupted and manipulated away from what it was originally intended for. And so now we live in this world where two kinds of power are always at work, always opposed to one another. There's creative power and destructive power. And we see that in Philip and in Simon. So creative power is the power of God, the power that Philip is tapping into when he proclaims Christ and he heals and he baptizes. Creative power is what brought the whole universe into existence. It's what poured out the fullness of God into this helpless baby. It's what raised Jesus from the dead. It's what's redeeming and restoring all things. 
And it's present in us every time we love our enemies, every time we do good work with our hands, every time we serve the vulnerable. And Richard Foster writes, The Bible speaks of very real cosmic spiritual powers that manifest themselves in the very real structures of our very real world. These powers are the energizing sources behind human beings and social structures. This is a terribly difficult concept for us to understand in our modern society. We're accustomed to seeing institutions as sterile, neutral structures that have nothing to do with the spiritual life. But nothing could be further from the truth because there is also this destructive power, this power that tears all the good stuff apart. And this power has a lot of names in the Bible. It's called powers and principalities, authorities, dominions, thrones, rulers, elemental spirits, princes of the world, and so on. And this isn't just colorful language from before they understood science as well as we do now. This destructive power is real. It is very real, and it exerts its authority in us and all over the world. So think about social media. The power to create this alternate version of ourselves and to live in a world that is tailored to us, that gives us exactly what we want to see and to buy, that seems like the closest thing to magic we might have going right now. And social media is fueled by this power of distraction and of entertainment that slowly has its way with us. It kills our ability to pay attention. And so eventually, our ability to really worship. And I don't think I have to tell you that the comment section of social media is one of the darkest places of power in the universe right now. It's where people give voice to their raw hatred and they find other people to do the same. Now, I actually really like social media. I think it's fun. I like having this visual record of my kids growing up and fun stuff we did. It keeps the grandparents in touch. But I'm definitely not immune to its power. And when I'm feeling spiritually low, I confess that I go to the dopamine hit of an Instagram like way before I go to Jesus, way before I go to prayer or silence or a walk. And there are other places that we get those hits, other places that we go before we go to Jesus that have destructive power over us. I know that I do. I might seem sort of gentle and meek, or that's what people who aren't related to me tell me, but I am constantly confronted with destructive power. It pulls at me. It tells me that I need to impress people to control them into giving me what I want, that I need to control my kids and my husband, that I need to perform for all of you, for everyone. And we do this at work. We do this in our politics. We do this all over the place. And no matter how subtle it is, we are like Simon the magician. We are manipulating the world around us. We're trying to get people to call us great. So what happens with Simon? Well, at first, it actually looks like he's turning from his destructive power. He hears Philip's message, he sees these miracles, and the scripture says he believed and he was baptized. 
And in fact, not just Simon, but a lot of Samaritans believed and were baptized, so many that the church in Jerusalem started to notice, and they sent Peter and John to go pray for people to receive the Holy Spirit. And Simon sees this outpouring of God's creative power in the laying on of hands and in the Holy Spirit, and he wants it. So he goes to Peter and John, and he says, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Simon almost gets it right, because the Holy Spirit is this amazing gift, and of course, we want people to receive it. But that's not what he's after, because he offers to pay for it, and because he's still got that old magician mind at work in him. You can hear it in his words, give me this power. We have to remember that for Simon's whole life up to this point, he had been completely immersed in destructive power, in this all-consuming desire to be great. And that kind of power doesn't give up its grip on us without a fight. So the apostles bring the fight to Simon. Peter makes really clear that Simon's hunger for power, his desire to pay for it, that this is all completely incompatible with following Jesus. Not long ago, Peter had seen the Lord of the universe, the all-powerful one, hanging on a cross, willingly dying for his enemies. And so Peter already knew implicitly that when someone follows Jesus, their whole relationship to power gets turned upside down, that they have to abandon all of the destructive power of the world, power that can be bought and sold, power that controls, power that exalts us. And in its place, Christians have to embrace the upside-down power of the kingdom of God, a power that creates and that serves, a power that humbles and empties and dies. But like Simon... We have all been immersed in destructive power for a long, long time. So how do we learn to see it, much less to turn from it, to renounce it? Well, we do what Simon does. Simon receives Peter's rebuke. He takes all of those really strong words to heart. And in this act of humility, he begs Peter to pray for him. Another way of saying all of this is that he submits, he gives in. And we need to do the same. We have to let other people see us as we really are. We have to have places we can confess when we are craving or abusing power. We have to have people we can ask to pray for us. And small groups are one way that we do that here at Incarnation, and it's not too late to join one, so just a little plug there. Another way we do this is we always have a prayer team after communion um, who love to pray confidentially for you. Those are often really powerful times. And also the pastors love to talk with you. These are all ways that you can get up close to someone, let them see your hunger for power, and ask them to pray. But we also have all these rich resources beyond our community. We can turn to that old wisdom I was talking about at the beginning, We can read the wisdom of faithful people who've gone before us and who've taken this renunciation of power really seriously. 
people like Richard Foster, people like St. Francis, all these monastics, all these people in the church, all the way back to Peter and John and Philip and Jesus. And in the lives of all these saints, we see that the key to renouncing destructive power is to orient our lives around the love of Jesus. And sometimes, like the monastics, this means we need new disciplines to break the hold of destructive power over us, like maybe a social media fast or a moratorium on buying clothes, maybe a break from cable news, a commitment to speak last in meetings, or maybe new habits of silence or prayer or service. These are just really practical, physical ways of renouncing destructive power. They help us see and experience the truth that Jesus has already given us everything we need. So we don't have to try to control and manipulate the world to give it to us. If you remember the story of St. Francis and Sylvester, Francis freely gave everything he had to Sylvester, and the generosity of that free gift broke the power of greed in Sylvester's life. And Jesus' generosity with us does that too. It can break the hold of destructive power. Richard Foster puts it this way. He says, We have nothing to lose. Suppose the powers of this world take our goods and possessions. No matter. Our possessions are only on loan from God. Protecting them is more his business than ours. Suppose the powers seek to destroy our influence, defaming our reputation. No matter. Our reputation is not ours to protect, and we couldn't do it, even if we wanted to. Suppose the powers throw at us the fear of death itself. No matter. We belong to the one who can lead us through death's dark pathway into greater life. So you see, we simply have nothing to lose. We are positionless and possessionless. And this complete and total vulnerability is our greatest strength. Well, I hope that we will all be growing into people who can embrace the creative power of our vulnerability. That we would all, me first, repent of our longing for destructive power. That all of us would have someone we can reach out to and ask them to pray for us. And that we would all know deeply the riches that are already ours in Jesus Christ, in his love and his forgiveness. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.